Welcome to Citizen Detective. Don't forget you can get your free guide at citizendetective.uk. So this week is the first of our episodes covering practical skills that you can practice yourself with little to no equipment and little to no expenditure. So basically, it, all it costs you is time. Today we're looking at newspaper archives, and as those of you who have got the free guide will already know, I think that newspapers represent the best place to start for almost any cold case or any historical research of any kind, actually. But I'll tell you why I think they are particularly useful for true crime investigators. Today's book review is a shorter book review, but it is all about Jack the Ripper, a book by the film director Bruce Robinson, after his, I think, more than a decade of research into the topic, he really got into the world of Ripperology and came out of it with some interesting conclusions and findings. And then, of course, the famous factoids. We start with Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper, and the subject of a future episode. Sutcliffe was arrested by mistake when discovered with a prostitute in 1981. Only after a lucky series of events did they find a hammer and knife that he had hidden as he was arrested after pretending he needed to urinate. Once the hammer was found, Sutcliffe quickly confessed to killing a dozen women in the previous five years. Most people seem to think there were around 20 additional murders that he never admitted to and is never likely to. So, on to a look at newspapers and newspaper archives. So I've previously said that my top decades for cold case investigations are the 1960s and 1970s. There are a number of reasons for this. One of them, perhaps the most important one, is that it means that this was before DNA could be used or had been used to help catch criminals, and therefore not having the DNA of victims and suspects, family members and so on, is not an issue for the 1960s and 1970s. It was not until 1986 that a UK murder investigation was assisted by DNA profiling, which took a number of years to perfect, and I suppose maybe it's not perfect even today, maybe there are extra things we can do in that area still to be found. But it means that you, as an amateur independent person, are not at a disadvantage to the police and other professionals simply because you don't have access to the DNA profiles. Another reason which I think is important is that you do still have access to eyewitnesses, relatives of the victims and the suspects, and I think therefore the 60s and 70s is a good place to start because you have a fair chance of helping an investigation, if not solving a cold case yourself, yet you don't have all the disadvantages which might come from looking at a more recent missing person, which, you know, will come to those disadvantages as well. So, what was different in the 1960s? Well, one of the key things from our perspective is that not everybody had a TV, and absolutely nobody had the internet. So, newspapers were the main way to get news, followed a distant second by radio. And I think it's fair to say you shouldn't overlook newspapers even for more recent crimes, uh, but you do need to get your head around the times of your victims. So a general reading of the months uh, leading up to the murder, leading up to the time that you're interested in, will help. And there are ways to do that without reading every newspaper from every day for the few years leading up to it. There are histories, summaries, uh, the timetables of history is one that springs to mind, where it has a summary of just generally what was going on in the year that you're interested in. And that is a good book that I continue to refer back to. Uh, and again, even in the times of the internet, there are some things which books do well. And I think the timetables of history 
achieves that. Newspapers have a special place at the British Library. It has an extensive archive of just about every single issue of every local and national paper ever printed. And even better than that, in the last few years, they've been digitising as much as they can and they've digitised pretty much everything between 1700 and 1950. I just wish they would hurry up and do the 60s and 70s, but they will certainly get there. And one of the reasons they haven't got there is that they're starting to encroach on intellectual property. There is still a market, there is still a number of people who will pay for access to digitised newspapers. It's a very expensive thing to do. And so there's a time period when newspapers were still produced in a traditional way, and they're today when they're basically a digital product. So there is a space of 40 or 50 years where the only copies of those newspapers are on paper and they need to be manually scanned in using a lot of time and patience and pretty expensive equipment. Until the day when everything is digitised, you can get creative, you can find the main library in the area where your crime happened and see what is available online through them. And if not, there is microfilm and paper copies of pretty much every local newspaper in the local library for that area. So I'll give you some more information on that soon. So just to be clear, the British Library online collection is at a website which I'll put in the show notes, which is called the British Newspaper Archive. The British Library logo is on that somewhere, but the British Newspaper Archive is what you should Google. The Times newspaper used to be, and I think still officially is, the paper of record for the UK, which means it's the sort of unofficial national newspaper that things like royal engagements have to be printed in. The Times Digital Archive covers the years 1785 to 2010, which is pretty good. It covers the period that I'm interested in, the 60s and 70s, but it's not free. Now, I have access to it through a library. You may also be able to find a public library with access to it. And for more recent years than 2010, you need a normal Times newspaper subscription, which is even more expensive. So the way to do this for free is either get on down to the local library of the place that you're interested in, uh, which is another reason I suggest starting in your local county, because it's much easier and cheaper to do that and quicker. And if you can't do that, then you can email and try and get help and beg, borrow and steal uh, information from willing helpers. And I think that's one way that coming together across the internet, we can help each other, is that you could do some legwork locally for somebody who's interested in a crime in your area that for whatever reason doesn't seem to interest you as much as it does them. A lot of information is on the internet, freely available, but the really good stuff, even if it's on the internet, is not free. And this is perhaps where a bit of legwork and a bit of charm can help. So if you cannot find anything online for the place and time that you need, start sending emails. Email librarians, email newspapers, email journalists, especially if you can find one that was working at the time that still has an interest in the story. Maybe they've retired now. Start contacting people. Look at the bylines in the newspapers. Figure out who wrote the articles, who was covering the crime beat when these murders happened. And if that really doesn't work, you can't get anywhere, do consider phoning up. People still like to receive a phone call, especially if they're retired and they're looking for something to do. Maybe your phone call is the thing that will bring them back into the case. And this is why I suggest starting in your own county, because if you do turn up at the library and you really cannot find the right newspaper, the staff there will be more than happy to help, especially if you go on a wet weekday in October and they're not busy, they're looking for something to do. Find the local history room in the library and tell them what you're doing. Tell them what you want, why you want it, and they'll help. One example I have from the Moors murders, which happened before I was born, uh, is that there's nothing about them at all in the British newspaper archive because these murders happened in the early 1960s. So one option I have is the Times Digital Archive, but that will only give me the Times. It won't give me the Manchester Evening News. 
used. So what I could do is head on over to the Central Library in Manchester. I know it well. I spent many hours in there as a student and see what they can do. Get the MEN out, the Manchester Evening News, and start looking at the early 1960s. See how this was covered day by day as the arrests were made and the bodies were found. That will really get you into the mindset of the times more generally and also attitudes to the murders as they were unfolding in real time. For my investigations into the Dr. Helen Davidson case, and I should point out that after the episode that I did on this, I do believe that the culprit has been found, but I do also think that there's a few little loose ends to tie up. But for my Helen Davidson investigations, who she died in 1966 near Amersham in the woods in Buckinghamshire, and therefore I can get my local library service to help find information about that particular case. So there are lots of leads for you to follow there. The British Newspaper Archive is brilliant but it seems to me that it's more useful at the moment for much older time periods going back before the Second World War. So you have the Times Digital Archive for national level stories, which is good, but as I found, there was nothing about the Christopher Laverack murder in Hull in there. There was an article, which I will post somewhere, you'll see it soon, probably on Twitter, which looks at his murder in the context of a paedophile ring, which actually turned out to be a complete red herring. But he was mentioned in a Times newspaper uh, some years after he disappeared, which does show that it system works. It's easy to find things once you're logged in and you can look around. It's very easy to find exactly what you want. There's no whole daily mail there. I'm going to have to get on down to the Central Library in Hull if I want to investigate that case a little bit more. This is why I think the citizen detective idea is so strong, because all it takes is time. If you have time, you can get to any library in the UK, get out the local newspapers and start digging. Okay, so that is it from Paul for the techniques for this week and we will be doing that more generally there will be a section on toolkit and techniques and then a look at a book and the factoids and some other things as well and maybe one day some interviews and some guests from other true crime podcasts that would be really cool if you're interested in that let me know so the book this week is they all love jack by bruce robinson the director of with nail and i and a few other cult classics. You might know, if you know anything about Bruce, that sarcasm and cynicism are right up his alley, and they're right up my alley as well, actually. I do like his sense of humour. However, be warned, this book is long, but it is a great antidote to all the weirdness that can be sometimes peddled by the official ripperologists, who are effectively self-proclaimed white males who imagine they know everything about the ripper and consequently miss key information, jump to conclusions, and most of them seem to be pretty sexist too. That's not me talking, I've read some other people's views on it and some ripologist books are virtually unreadable. Bruce disliked them intensely, ignored all offers of help from anybody who proclaimed themselves as a ripologist. One of the reasons for that is that in all the decades, I think a century or more, I'm not sure exactly when these ripper crimes happened, nobody has convincingly named a killer. There are lots of suspects, lots of crazy ideas. There's a famous artist who some people think did it. The name escapes me just now, but it was a very, very famous, but it was a very, very famous artist who couldn't possibly have done it. He's on the list. Somebody like Cezanne or... So there are no spoilers ever in this podcast. That would be mean. You might want to read this book. I loved it. It's very readable. And Bruce's fresh viewpoint 
on the murders was something I found compelling. And if you do want more about the victims and a female point of view, the new gold standard is, of course, The Five by Hallie Rubenhold. That is excellent. I have it on Audible and it's brilliant. So a shorter book review this week to make room for the newspaper section. And we leave you with a factoid. Peter Sutcliffe wore a specially adapted undergarment for his murders. It was a top with two sleeves stitched together for his legs, an arrangement which left his genitals exposed and therefore easy to grab hold of after his murders. Chillingly enough, this secret was buried for decades, partly because it made clear that Sutcliffe was carefully planning the murders, that they were sexual in nature, and that therefore Sutcliffe could not possibly be mad, which is a fiction the police tried to promote to avoid a detailed trial. A trial which would have exposed all the hundred or so mistakes they made trying to catch him, and the untold additional people who were killed because of those failures. Peter Sutcliffe will be coming soon to an episode near you. And that's all we have time for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Let us know. Get hold of us. If you don't want to talk to us, get hold of the free guide at citizendetective.uk. There will be more true crime next week on Citizen Detective. Thanks for listening.